The following is a presentation of Muddy River News. Hi, this is Ron Kincher from Welcome to Booknook. This is brought to you by the Quincy Public Library, and the library has a list of things that's taken place during the fall months heading into the Christmas season. Make sure you check it out at thequincylibrary.org. Today we're joined by Tim Scherer. Tim lives over in the Columbia area, and he has a new book come out, uh, coming out later this month, about Half the Town Burned is the title, and it's about a fire in a small town called Woolridge, kind of about 50 to 100 people that took place about a year ago. And uh, Tim, you do have a connection to Quincy, correct? Yeah, I'm a uh, QHS graduate, and uh, my mom used to take us down to the original library there by the uh, Quincy Square and spend a lot of time in the new library, which ain't, it's not, not so new anymore. But uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely. I was up there last weekend, in fact. Yeah. Uh, and you're working in Columbia, correct? Yeah, I'm the academic dean at Father Tolton Catholic High School, and I'm also a uh, retired Army Reserve officer. And, uh, you know, I write a few books. Yeah, and this is not your first attempt at nonfiction, right? No, I, I've written four other books. Uh, my first book was uh, A History of CB Radios as a Cultural Phenomenon, uh, Social Media Platform. And then I wrote one on the Civil War. I've got one on uh, World War II Army chaplains, and I've got one on the U.S. Army Signal Pigeon Corps. So small town, big fire. What brought your attention to this event and what made you think about writing a book about it? Uh, a month after the fire, uh, we took students down there to volunteer to help clean up. And we ended up going down there twice. And it turns out we were the only people who ended up helping them, at least in person. Um, so when I was down there, we got to meet a lot of the uh, people that were involved with the fire. And when we first went down there, it was breathtaking. Like uh, I was shocked at how much damage occurred. Uh, it, the, the town at the time of the fire, the, the, the 20, 20 census was 28 people and half the town burned. Like half of it was just gone. And that's what we were working on cleaning up. So that's that's what got me interested in it. So in terms of scale, uh, you mentioned half the town burned, but it is a town of around 50 people, as you mentioned. So just what square footage or acreage are we talking about? Well, the, the overall fire burned 3,500 acres. Uh, the town itself, the village, there was a downtown and an uptown area. The downtown area was the original area. And really, it was about four square blocks of of area so it, it so it's not a big area but the fire itself was the largest uh mutual aid response in the history of missouri uh it took uh, 63 departments responded and 161 firefighters were involved uh three people almost lost their lives in the fire um so there was a lot going on down there in a very short period of time the fire itself um it the first home caught on fire in eight minutes and the rest of the town had burned uh, in less than two hours. So where were the fire, where were the initial responders coming from? How close to Woolridge? Uh, the first, the very first responder was a uh, young, uh, uh, early twenties uh, volunteer firefighter who was actually working at the fire station three and a half miles up the road. And he came, he was there within five minutes okay. and, and he took a look at the fire and said, we can't stop this. And he started evacuating the town immediately. Okay. And I, I've had several residents say that he saved a lot of lives that day. 
So how did he get, I'm just trying to imagine this small little town and this one guy showing up from a very small, you know, uh, fire, de- I'm assuming volunteer fire department type situation. How did he get everybody else involved in this? I mean, is there a bat signal that goes up? Or I, Again, I'm just, how, how does that happen? Yeah, well, I've got I've got all the uh, I've included all of the radio calls in the book. I have the initial nine one one call. So the the fire was actually started had something to do with the combine. You know, the attorneys are fighting about exactly what 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 caused it regarding the combine. So the the guy operating the combine made the initial phone call, and then it went to Cooper County nine one one, and then they called out. Uh, the the fire call to station number three cooper county which is just three and a half miles up the road so he goes down there he immediately looks at the situation and goes okay i need a second alarm we need to call out uh our local mutual aid partner jamestown which is only 12 miles away and we're going to evacuate the town and i need law enforcement he did all of this within a couple of minutes okay and he really saved lives so what was the largest town or fire department to respond to this again you, there's 63 departments that helped well this fire mm-hmm. well there were there were about a dozen 13 departments that came initially there's really two phases to the fire there's the local mutual aid response and uh jamestown sent quite a few units to it uh most departments had their own commitments that they had to worry about so they would maybe send one or two units to it um but when they kicked off the statewide mutual aid and i have the entire process of how that happens in the book and the decision making and what goes from there there's a statewide coordinator who just happened to be right across the river at a barbecue watching the smoke column oh wow Um, so he started calling in other departments and so there's a there's a network of regions and so they call the region coordinators and they basically ask for uh pre-planned packages which they then send so those packages start showing up the fire started at about 320 and the uh those packages they they called for mutual aid three hours later so about 630 um and those packages start showing up about 10 p.m and they they basically fought the fire into the night. So there were really two phases to the fire. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's another complication to all of this and that there was a Mizzou football game going on that day. It was Mizzou homecoming and the smoke was smothering the the I70 bridge just as they released the um, the, the MU football game in and so they had to close I70 uh just as the MU football game ended and they closed it for 2 hours due to smoke. So what were the conditions just right for this type of thing to take place? You mentioned a combine, but, you know, for fire to spread, obviously, I'm assuming it was very, very dry and mm-hmm. in a certain direction type thing. Yeah, they, they, they'd they had a lack of rainfall. They'd been a little bit of a fall drought and the winds were very high, 20 to 30 miles per hour. And um, it, it happened uh, about 500 feet to the southeast of town according to the first phone call and again the first phone call uh, the first uh you know first house caught on fire within eight minutes and you know people walked out their back doors one one man told me the story of how he walked out the back door of his house saw the fire coming at his house he got his car his truck keys by the time he drove his truck around the front of his house the back of his house was on fire oh wow so again a small town uh, is what was the 
gosh, I can't imagine the economic havoc this has created on this small town. I mean, are there people still there trying to rebuild or is it kind of a ghost town now? Well, there, there's the uptown and the downtown. The uptown was perfectly fine. It came through this in good shape. The downtown, it had significant flood damage because it was in a floodplain. Um, so no one has rebuilt in the uh, downtown area. There are some people living in campers down there. Uh, but for the most part, and that was one of the challenges that they had. This is really a 360 degree case study of a fire because I've interviewed many of the firefighters involved, the uh, uh, law enforcement officers, and I've tracked down all the stories for the residents and what happened to them. And some of them, you know, people ended up homeless and some of them are still homeless today. And you mentioned that this was by far the largest thing a lot of these firefighters have ever faced. And I'm assuming that's small town versus the larger town fire departments that the guys just showed up and that was it a situation where they, there was just nothing they could do other than try to limit the damage. Yeah. I mean, they were in a totally defensive fight and I would say, I wouldn't say this was, you know, small town firefighters looking at this. I mean, several of the senior leaders, in the fire were from the Columbia Fire Department. They're retirees and they've moved on like a state rep uh, for that area. He's a retired Columbia firefighter. And one guy who's a you know 30 year firefighter, he walked around and just looked at the fire for five minutes in awe. He'd never seen anything like it in his life. And I've had several of the different fire chiefs say that. Was there a, I mean, was there an accelerant that maybe got involved in this or? No, no, not really. It was just, it was just fuel oxygen and wind wow that moved it and the the buildings in that part of woldridge were were really old the average age of the buildings in woldridge were 1907. so you know quincy's only a couple of hours from that area so why don't you just give us a geographic area where woldridge is hold on i got an announcement going on here that's fine okay well woldridge is located uh as you cross the, you go on the i-70 bridge going into go, coming from Columbia towards Kansas City as soon as you cross the I-70 bridge to the left that is the area where the fire happened in fact okay. if you look there's, there's a set of power lines that's where they stopped the fire um, and they were very concerned that it was going to take out the uh, um, it was going to take out the uh, I-70 construction site and then if it had crossed I-70 it was going to burn up to uh, uh, Warm Springs Ranch, which is the uh, breeding home of the Budweiser Clydesdales, and they were working a plan to evacuate that. So it's not inconceivable that this would have continued to burn and another fire had popped up on the far side of Warm Springs Ranch. So it's quite possible it could have burned to Boonville. So nobody lost their lives. It, looking back on it, are the, the fire people and everybody involved, are they shocked that nobody did lose their life? Yeah, it was a real blessing that no one lost their lives. Uh, a dog and a couple birds were lost. Uh, but yeah, they everyone got really lucky. There were situations that the firefighters were in were in jeopardy. Uh, I've got the story of uh, a fire crew that drove was going to cut through the town and they missed being in a flashover by seconds. Wow. Um, a power line fell on a fire truck at one point in the story. So um, this was a very different kind of fire and the, the, the fight in the town of Wolters was over pretty quick. 
but there were there were several situations where people just very easily could have died. One man slept for an hour and a half through the fire with a dozen fire trucks right outside of his house, and uh, it was getting ready to, to torch his house. And people thought he'd left, and the firefighters went in to double check, and he was still there. He was sound asleep. What were the how are things going from an insurance perspective for all these people? Only one home was insured by the residents. Another one was a rental property that was insured. Everyone else lost everything. Oh, my gosh. You mentioned lawsuits, too. So it's hard to get through anything without lawsuits taking place. Yeah. Some of those residents had bought those homes because they were flood damaged for, you know, $1,500, mm-hmm. Uh you know, as recently as, you know, 15, 20 years ago. So they didn't insure them. So yeah, those people pretty much lost everything that they had. And a lot of the, a lot of the, the families that lived down there, uh, the guys uh, and the family were mechanics and carpenters and things like that. So they lost not only their home, but they lost their tools. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't, they couldn't work for a while until they found new tools. So again, the uh, book is called, I'm sorry, Jim. No, go ahead. The book is called Half the Town Burned, and it's the story of the Great Woolridge Fire of 2022. Just a year ago, this took place. And you mentioned it's a 360-degree view of what happened on those days. And if, if is that your best summary that you can give someone listening to this? Yeah, I mean, I've tracked down the stories of every family uh, in the fire and what happened to them. Uh, some pretty sad stories in some, in some cases and, uh, the firefighters and I talked to, uh, you know, uh, the state of Missouri's emergency management department, in fact, went down there and toured their, uh, emergency operations center, which they activated for the fire. Mm -hmm. And, um, so really it's, you know, it takes you from the first firefighter on the scene all the way up to, you know, the, the deputy director of the state emergency management agency who happened to live nearby and was on the ground. Available later this month around the 17th for pre-order on lulu.com. And it's going to be scattered across central Missouri and a variety of different bookstores. And Tim, if they can't find it in any of those places, is there a way that they can reach, is there a website or something they can reach out directly to you? Uh, yeah, you can just order it off of lulu.com and all you have to do is search for half the town burn okay uh, there's no other book with that name and uh yeah or you can maybe find me on facebook and right, well, just reach out to me thanks for sharing your story really appreciate it yeah all yeah right, you know um this has been a phenomenal project and it's just been amazing to run down these stories of this fire which is crazy Tim Share, Half the Town Burned. This has been the Book Nook, brought to you by the Quincy Public Library. I'm Ron Kincher for Muddy River News. Muddy River News. Our home, our news.